Chapter 10 of Paul, a Herald of the Cross. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Paul, a Herald of the Cross by Florence M. Kingsley. Chapter 10 The Physician and the Emperor. The physician Chericles stood near the large open window of his library, his hands folded behind him. He was apparently intent upon the scene without, and indeed a wiser than he might look again and yet again from that lofty window with both pleasure and profit, for in a manner the kingdoms of the world and the glories of them lay spread out before him. Rome, the undying city, in the full strength of her mighty youth, gleaming with palaces, temples, and statues, her yellow Tiber shining like a veritable river of gold in the clear morning sunlight. Rome sat like a throned queen upon her seven hills, inviting the homage of the gazer. But Chericles was not looking at the haughty mistress of nations. His eyes were fixed upon a spider's web, which hung from a coping not ten feet from his window the owner and maker of which, equally indifferent to the grandeur of the imperial city, was casting line upon line of his filmy thread about the body of a fly. The luckless insect struggled valiantly, and the physician stretched forth his hand as if half-minded to release it. Then he gave vent to a short laugh. Nay, if I save the fly, he said aloud, I shall ruin the domicile of the industrious spider besides depriving him of his morning meal. Moreover, the fly will have derived no wisdom from his experience which will serve to keep him from tomorrow's web. Also, he must in any event perish soon. Therefore, let him die now. In like manner did the fates watch unhappy mortals entangled in the web of life. In like manner also is the prosperous spider spared and the foolish fly devoured, and so doth death in oblivion sweep away all. With a single motion of his hand, he destroyed the web. I am called the wise Chericles, he continued, turning away from the window with a sigh. Yet I know little more than yonder insect concerning these wondrous human bodies, which I profess to understand. Understand? Who then can understand the fountain of the heart, the rivers of the blood, the mysterious alchemy which takes of dead flesh and transmutes it into living flesh? The eye, that globe of living fire, set in a cavern of bone which defies corruption. Nay, these things are too wonderful for me, and there is no voice that explains in all the empty heavens. Man is a question to which there seems to be no answer, and yet some unseen power compels us to labor as beneath the lash to solve the problem. Seating himself at his table, he began to make diligent study of a portion of human vertebrae stopping from time to time to add a line to the closely written parchment which lay before him. His labors were presently interrupted by his favorite slave, who with many apologies announced a visitor. Have I not told thee, knave, that I must not be disturbed by visitors during the morning hours? Nay, I am too merciful. I should command thee to be tortured once for disobedience. But a messenger from the emperor, my good lord, began the slave cringing, why didst thou not say so at once, fool? Admit him instantly. Ha, tis the praetorian prefect. Greetings, my lord. I trust there is nothing amiss with the emperor. Does he send for me? 
the master of the world is apparently in his usual health responded the newcomer with a cautious air yet there are those of us who feel much anxiety concerning him he steadily refuses to see a physician but if by chance a physician should see him i think i understand said Charicles gravely but how may that be he has left the island of caprae and is established in the villa of lucullus at messinum continued mackerel the distinguished Charicles could perchance pay a friendly visit without offence ah yes said the physician glancing thoughtfully at his parchments next month perhaps when i shall be more at leisure i now to-day interrupted the other quickly thou shalt return with me there is no time to lose Charicles lifted his eyebrows inquiringly here is thy fee said the other impatiently depositing a small leathern bag upon the table there are horses below come i pray thee make all possible haste the physician lifted the bag deliberately i shall be able he said with an air of animation to continue my experiments on the furies fly away with thy experiments cried the prefect with a stamp of his foot make haste i say but there can be no possible doubt as to the succession my good macro remarked the physician beginning to gather his parchments together with an air of manifest reluctance tiberius gemellus the grandson of the emperor will of course but if the fates have willed otherwise there is no of course about it and the fates in this instance are represented by the illustrious prefect of praetorians macro smiled as if not altogether displeased he drew himself up proudly in any event we must know and at once the probable extent of the present reign he said decidedly art thou ready the emperor tiberius was dragging out the last wretched remnant of his days there could be no possible doubt as to that for three and twenty years he had sat upon the throne of rome hated of all and hating the fountainhead of that flood of crime bloodshed and lust which had swept over rome in devastating tide reducing it to a frightful silence and torpor as of death during this reign of terror in a scarce noticed province of his realm a mightier one than he had begun a never-ending reign maker of countless worlds yet the humble burden-bearer of humanity his cradle a manger his roof the stars of heaven his deathbed a roman cross jesus of nazareth the prince of peace tiberius had heard of this man in his wicked seclusion at caprae a jewish soothsayer he was told a mad fanatic a dangerous fellow well out of the way when out of the world had heard and forgotten long ago of what possible interest was the life and death of a jewish peasant to this mighty emperor of mightiest rome and yet to-day it would be hard to find a slave in all the palace who had exchanged places with tiberius tiberius himself knew this he knew himself unloved unpitied tortured with the pains of swift coming death loathsome with the corruption of the tomb while yet cursed with breath he watched his attendants with a terrible intentness reading his sentence of death in their averted eyes clothing was torment yet he forced himself to endure a kingly toilet every day food and wine palled upon him yet he ate and drank with dogged determination sleeping and waking he was haunted by the faces and forms of his countless victims mingling with his attendants their ghastly blood-stained faces hung over his couch at midnight with withered fingers they beckoned to him from behind the shoulders of his counsellors in the morning hours he longed to shriek aloud of his misery 
to wail and lament even as a slave beneath a lash. But who would listen? Who in all the world of mortals or of spirits was there to whom he could unburden himself? The physician Charicles desires an audience with thee, divine master. And Stephanion bowed low before the royal couch. The physician Charicles, repeated Tiberius, rousing himself with difficulty from the frightful reverie. Who is there here who needs or desires the presence of a physician? Praise be to the gods, all are in health, replied Stephanion. The wise Charicles comes not to exercise his craft, but only to look upon the face of his royal master, since there is no greater joy or privilege in all the world. Fetch me a mirror, commanded Tiberius. But no, how do we seem today, Stephanion? The truth, knave, if thou hast a grain of truth in thine entrails. As ever, divine master, the wisdom of the ancients and the majesty and beauty of the gods irradiate thy glorious countenance. Tiberius made an impatient gesture. Chattering parrot, he muttered. He drew his gold-bordered purple mantle close about his shoulders. Drop yonder curtain, the sun glares in impertinently. Now admit the man to my presence. He composed his countenance into an artificial smile. Nay, good Charicles, do not kneel. It rejoices me to receive thee, and to see that the passing years have used thee not unkindly. It is needless for me to ask after the health of the illustrious master of the world. It needs but a glance to assure me of it, responded Charicles, kissing the proffered hand of the emperor. Ha! Sayest thou so? said Tiberius, drawing his hand quickly away. Yet there are those who profess to think me ill. I am no leech, but it seemeth to me that a man can scarce be ill who eats, drinks, and sleeps with the appetite of youth. A truer word was never spoken, assented Charicles, cautiously studying the face before him. The swollen purple visage, the livid lips, the heaving breast, all repeating to his intelligent eye the story of the laboring pulse which he had managed to touch as he kissed the royal hand. Tiberius was not looking at his visitor now. His eyes were fixed upon the space directly above his head. The expression of his face grew frightful. To eat, drink, and sleep well, continued Charicles in a somewhat louder tone, the body must needs be in perfect accord with the indwelling spirit, all the parts of the machine working harmoniously. Thou hast in thy wisdom seized the whole meat of the matter. Tiberius dropped his eyes with a hollow laugh. If thou wast asked to prescribe for a man, good Charicles, who is constantly plagued by visions of the dead, he said, pulling at his pillows uneasily, what wouldst thou do for him? There is in the palace a, a slave who constantly beholds the faces of murdered men, ay, and of murdered women, livid, ghastly, some with dagger thrusts in the breast, others with swollen faces as of those strangled, and most terrible of all, a woman. Here his voice dropped to a husky whisper. A woman whose discolored skin scarce covers the bones of her frame, and whose skeleton hands are ever outstretched as if to seize him. A most unfortunate slave, a most unhappy slave, said the physician gravely. Nay, I can do nothing for such an one. Death is the best remedy. A wise man art thou, O physician. I also have said it. But be the hour of dissolution far from us, who have reached the age of wisdom, and who, after many follies, are at last prepared to enjoy the serene pleasures of a riper age. 
Thou shalt sup with me this night, good Charicles, that thou mayest drink to the prosperity of the four and twentieth year of my reign. At midnight of that same day, the prefect of the Praetorian Guard received the anxiously awaited report of the physician. The emperor, declared Charicles solemnly, cannot at the longest survive more than two days. He is even now a dying man. Sayest thou so? cried Macro with manifest delight. Art thou sure? They tell me that he remained long at table tonight, and ate and drank more than his wont. The physician shrugged his shoulders. That is also true, he said. So might the mariner, who knows the hull of his vessel to be gnawed by the tooth of the hostile rock, hoist sail to the wind as if by any chance he could cheat the hungry deeps that await him. The emperor is dying. I, Charicles, have said it. And yet it is not I that have said it, but the fates, who have spun and measured the thread of his life, and whose shining blades are even now uplifted to sever it. Macro turned away abruptly. There is no time to be lost, he said. I must away. Then, as if struck by some new thought, he paused a moment at the door to say with an authoritative gesture, Thou wilt remain, my Charicles, till all is over. Left to himself, Charicles allowed a quiet smile to look out of his eyes. If now I cared to meddle in the affairs of statecraft, I might make or mar many a fortune, he said to himself. There is Tiberius Gemellus, against whom the tide appears to set strongly. If at this moment I should seek the emperor and say to him, Thou art dying, and there is naught to save thee, his last moments of time might suffice to seat his grandson securely on the throne." I, Charicles, moreover, would not fail of my reward, gold, estates, perchance in high office in some distant province, and Macro and Caius Caligula for mine enemies. May the immortals avert the hour, nay, and I get back to my parchments, let who will rule Rome. Nevertheless, I am minded to see the end of the play. All that night the thud of swift hoofs resounded from the wooded avenues of the villa, Messengers were being dispatched to the distant provinces and their armies. All the next day, whispering groups of courtiers stood about the corridors. Caius Caligula was not to be seen. He was closeted with Macro in the chamber of council. As for the dying Tiberius, he lay at last unresisting upon his couch, scarce conscious of what was passing around him. Twice during the day, Charicles, moved by genuine pity, endeavored to administer a potion which he thought might serve to ease the labored breathing. But perceiving that his presence was a source of positive annoyance to the royal sufferer, he finally withdrew, leaving him to the care of his attendants. For more than three hours now, Stephanion had stood motionless at the bedside of his master, watching the irregular heaving of the broad chest. Now he turned to a slave who stood near. Let in more light, he commanded in a whisper. A flood of yellow sunshine darted into the chamber and rested full on the ghastly face beneath the purple canopy. Stephanion raised his head. His eyes sparkled with joy. He is dead, he said in a hard measured voice. Without another word, he turned and left the apartment. Advancing on tiptoe to the couch, the slave, who was now sole occupant of the chamber, gazed for a moment in silence upon a livid mask on its silken pillow. Raising his clenched hands high above his head, he laughed aloud. Dog, he cried in a terrible voice, for the dishonor of my child, for the murder of my son, I am at last avenged. 
With that, he smote the dead face twice, thrice with the palm of his open hand. Then he too fled away, leaving the door of the chamber wide open. End of chapter 10